Uh, Good morning. Uh, Today's Bible reading comes from Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought of as a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain." says the Lord. Thanks, Jason. Uh, If uh, you're new here this morning, my name's Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we're beginning our annual survey series. Uh, Once a year at this time of year, we, or before this, we, we ask people that we know who are not Christians Uh, what they make of an aspect of the world in which we live. Uh, And so this year we've been asking people, how would you fix the world? And we've gathered up their responses. And then what we want to do is look at some of the responses that people give and see what the Bible has to say about those kinds of things, Uh, the the kinds of uh, solutions, if you like, that the Bible gives for the problems that we face in our world. That's so that... Uh, We can bring people along who've given some of those answers to hear. It's so that we can direct them uh, to listen to the sermon on the website maybe or so that we ourselves can be trained and equipped so that when others have those questions, we uh, can give uh, good answers to those things. So uh, today and over the next three Sundays, we'll be looking at some of the... uh, We're looking at the four top responses... Next week, we'll be looking at fixing people. Uh, The week after, we'll be looking at fixing religion. Uh, And the week after that, the most popular answer, which was that the world can't be fixed. But today, we're going to be looking at fixing society. Uh, And before we do that, let's pray together. And let's ask that God will give us understanding so that we can uh, think His thoughts and His ways about His world. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who's not just made the world, but who has made himself known, uh, Lord, in the Bible, but especially in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Father, we ask that as we reflect on the brokenness of our world uh, this morning, that you would help us to understand how it is that you plan to fix the world. As we focus on the problems of society and the great brokenness that we see and that many of us have experienced, perhaps some of us more deeply than others. Lord, many of us may carry deep scars of great hurts. Lord, as we think about those things, as, as we think about what you have to say about them, we ask that you would give us great understanding and open hearts to receive your truth. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, nearly uh, 60 years ago, on the 28th of August in 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream. He had a dream that America could rise out and live out the true meaning of its creed that all men are created equal. He dreamt of a society in which the children of former slaves and the children of former slave owners could sit down together at the table of brotherhood. He had a dream that some of the most unjust and oppressive and racist states in America would be transformed into oases of freedom and justice. He had a dream that his children could live in a society one day where they would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream of a better society. And to listen to his words again today and to reflect on the things that he said, even 60 years later, it's not hard to be swept up in the power of his dream. And yet as he began that speech, he also reflected on 100 years of disappointment. The year in which he gave that speech was the year, a hundred years after, Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation, where he had declared and set free black slaves. It was a proclamation that Martin Luther King noted came as a great beacon of light of, to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. After years of abuse, after years of mistreatment, Finally, they had been set free. And yet, despite the hope of that moment, the African-American people of Martin Luther King Jr.'s day, 100 years later, were still not free. King said, 100 years later, the Negro is still not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. A hundred years after the release under Abraham Lincoln of black slaves, the dream had not been realized and arguably 
60 years on from Martin Luther King's great speech, racism has still not come to an end in the United States of America. And indeed, racism has not come to an end in other parts of the world as well. Whether it's racism, whether it's poverty, the gap between rich and poor, whether it's other forms of systemic injustice, nearly everyone can see that our society needs to be fixed. There are things that are deeply wrong. And certainly, as we ask people this question, how would you fix the world, the answer, fixed society, was a recurring theme. We can see it. People said things like, close the gap between rich and poor, give everyone a living wage, try to get people on the same page where there's no prejudice. We recognise that society is broken, we recognise that it needs to be fixed, and again and again we come up with our great plans of how to do that, but society remains broken. So how do we fix it? Or how can it be fixed? That's what we're thinking about today. And I want to think with you about the, what the Bible has to say about that question. And I want to take you not to the passage that we read, but to another passage, a passage in the New Testament. It's in a letter that one of Jesus' early followers wrote uh, to Christians living in Rome in about the year AD 50. So maybe about 20 years or so after Jesus was crucified and raised to life again. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can follow along, otherwise it'll be up on the screen. And the words uh, come from the letter to the Romans from chapter 1, verse 29. Oops, that's just there it is there. It says this, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, the writer of those words was a man named Paul. He was an early Christian leader. And as he looked around at his society, these are some of the problems that he saw. He saw some of the same things that we still see as we look around as well. He saw things like envy, murder, strife, lies. A few weeks ago, it seemed to me that every day that I looked up the news or I turned on the news at night, it seemed that there was a report of a new murder. It seemed like every day that week there was a new murder, an episode of family violence, whatever it was. There were stories of injustice. And sometimes we don't just see those things on the television or read about them on our phones. Sometimes those injustices are things that we experience as well. Maybe you've experienced that kind of injustice or mistreatment this week. Maybe people have abused you, whether it's this week or in the past, and you carry 
the, the weight of that with you. And no matter how much people say to you, just forget about it or whatever it might be, unhelpful things like that, you can't forget about it. I remember once uh, talking to a shop assistant just before Christmas. I went to buy something, a gift for somebody. And they said to me, I thought it was so interesting, they said, oh, this is usually the worst time of the year for us. I, I said, what do you mean by that? They said, oh, we, oh, we just get abused all the time. I said, what, what do you mean? They said, oh, yes, people just come in and at this time of year it's so busy that we just, we just cop a whole lot of abuse from all our customers. I thought, surely. Society can't function like that. But how has that come about? How have we got to this point where it's like that? Well, the verse just before the one that we read gives us a clue. It says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. That's a really remarkable verse because it says that God in some way is responsible for what's going on. God in some way stands behind this. Now, to understand that, to get our heads around that, we need to go back a little bit further. And so I want you to come back with me to the middle of this chapter, to uh, verse 18, where it says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. What's that talking about? The problem, it seems, began when, as human beings, we decided to close our eyes to the obvious reality of God and to go our own way. So the Bible makes a, what seems maybe culturally to us a pretty extraordinary claim. The Bible's claim is that it's patently obvious when we look at the world around us, it's abundantly clear that this world has not come from nowhere. It's been made, it's been designed. If you have a wrecker's yard full of old cars and old car parts, no matter how long you wait, those parts won't assemble themselves into a new car. But people have chosen to ignore that idea and to say, no, 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 there's no God, this world is an accident, therefore we have no responsibility to anyone above ourselves. The way the Bible puts it is, it says, we've neither glorified God nor given thanks to him. 
Now, some of you won't have to imagine this very hard, work hard, very hard to imagine this, but imagine that every day you made breakfast for your kids or dinner and imagine that they never said thanks, just pretend that that never happened. Uh, imagine, too, if sometimes they threw it back in your face or they flushed it down the toilet or they threw it on the floor so that the dog could eat it. Imagine what it would feel like to have lovingly made something for someone to enjoy and then for that gift to be rejected, trampled, destroyed, abused, corrupted. It's not right to treat human beings like that. It's certainly not right to treat the God who has made us and given us life and everything as a gift. It's certainly not right to treat our God like that. God is to be thanked and enjoyed and delighted in. That's not a kind of a miserable thing to do. That's actually where we find our greatest joy. C.S. Lewis once said that our enjoyment of a thing is not complete until we've expressed our praise, until we've shared with others or with the person who's given it to us, the wonder and the delight that we have in it. Someone gives us a gift. Our enjoyment is not complete until we say, thank you for this beautiful gift. And it's the same with God. God is to be thanked and enjoyed and delighted in. But we've turned our backs on God. We've decided to live our own way and to live, try and live without God. And what's the result? Well, the result, this passage says, is that God has given us over. I remember once when I was really young, it's an awfully long time ago now, uh, but I remember once when I was young that my family was going out somewhere. I have no idea where they were going. I can't remember that anymore. But I didn't want to go. And so as they were all getting into the car, I was hiding. And eventually mum and dad sort of realised that I wasn't there and they came through the house yelling, Carl, where are you? Come out. Uh, but being a particularly stubborn and dedicated child, I stayed hidden. And eventually, they were running out of time and running out of patience. And the, so they said, well, okay then, we're locking up the house. We'll see you later. I reckon I would have been about three or four or something at the time. That is, they decided to give to me exactly what I wanted. You want to stay hidden? You don't want to come? We'll give you that. The thing was, the moment they said that, I suddenly realized that wasn't what I wanted. And despite the inevitable consequences, I jumped out, ran to the door, started knocking on the window. Please let me out. Please let me out. And the same is true of us, uh, of God with us as human beings. That is, we say to God, Lord, we don't want you in our lives. We don't want you in our world. Uh, we just want to determine everything for ourselves. Uh, we, we want to be gods of our own existence. 
And God is, is patient for a time and he is generous and, if you like, overlooks that. But eventually the time comes when God says, well, do you know what? Have it your way. You want me out of your life? You want me out of your world? You want me to take away my restraining hand? You want me to take away the goodness, all the goodness that flows from me into your world? You, you want me out of your world? I'll give you that. You can discover for yourselves how well it goes in a world where I've taken my hands off to some extent. The problem with the world and with society is that we've pushed God out, we've lost our centre. And no matter how much we try and patch things up around the edges, we can't get things right until we get the centre back in its place. God is the centre, and unless as a society we regather around the God who made us, we can't fix society. We can't do it. So we can try to educate people, as we always do. Every time there's a problem in society, it gets dumped on the teachers to fix the problem. We need to have a course on that at school. And we can try that, and no doubt, sometimes that will help a bit. But it doesn't fix the problem. We can try to give everyone a living wage, but that won't fix the problem. Some people will still be dissatisfied with what they have. Some people will still want what others have. We can try to get rid of prejudice or racism, whatever it is. We've been trying for, for decades, for centuries to get rid of that. But none of those things will fix the problem. They won't fix the problem because they're just symptoms of the disease rather than the disease itself. It's like trying to treat a snake bite by putting a band-aid on it. You're just covering up the puncture marks. You're not really dealing with the problem. The basic problem is that you and I, our whole world, are out of sync with the God who's made us and who loves us. We're doing our own thing. We're not glorifying him. We're not giving thanks to him. We're not living according to his plan and purpose. If we want to fix society, we've got to turn that around by turning back to God and putting him back in the centre of our world. There's no other way to fix society. But the problem is that this issue is not just out there. It would be easy for all of us in here to, to sit here and think, well, it's, it's all those people out there who are causing the problems with society. So easy to watch the news, isn't it? Or to read the news and to think, uh, you know, this is not my problem, it's the problem of all these other evil people. But it turns out that the problem is all of us. The letter, this letter continues in the next chapter. Uh, it says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because... You who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you are mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? 
Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The problem with society is not all the other people. The problem with society is you and me as well. So easy to look at others and to think that they're the problem, but it's us as well. We, we, can look at, we can look at the people in society and think, well, it's them. It's the protesters. They're the ones, these people who are protesting, they're the ones who are causing all these problems. Or on the flip side, you know, it's all those people who aren't protesting, who are just sitting on their backsides waiting for somebody else to solve the problem. Or it's the rich people who are causing all the problems. Or it's the poor people who are causing the problems. It's the white people or it's the black people. It's the men or it's the women. We can, we can all find people to blame. But God says here, no, it's you too. You have no excuse. I have no excuse. Because all of us, every single one of us, has failed to keep God at the center. We failed to live according to the manufacturer's instructions. We've all pushed God out from the middle to the edge of our lives. And although God is patient and although the world keeps turning, although things are not as bad as they could be, as bad as things are sometimes, this is really just the calm before the storm. The Bible is upfront about the fact that a day is coming when God will come back to install himself finally and fully at the centre of the world. And he will hold us to account for how we've responded to him. And the current brokenness of our society is just a warning sign. It's like when you get in the car and one of those red lights starts flashing. You can try and keep driving and it might work for a bit. But eventually, the engine blows up. brokenness of our society is one of those warning signs. It's meant to wake us up, to realize that things are not right. It's meant, the Bible says, to lead us to repentance, which is just a fancy way of saying turning away from going our own way and turning to going God's way. If we don't do that, there's no hope. There's no hope for society and there's no hope for us. But if we do turn back, then there's hope through the forgiveness that comes in Jesus' death. There's hope for a society put right. There's hope for that kind of society that we read about, that Jason read for us at the beginning of the sermon. God is going to make a new creation, a new creation without death or pain or misery or hardship. But the way that God is going to do that is not through education, it's not through better wages for everybody in the world. The way that God is going to fix all the problems in society is by returning himself to the centre. What you and I need to do is not try to fix the world because we can't do it. What we need to do is to put God at the centre of our lives. 
We need to turn back to him and we need to encourage others around us to do the same thing. We can't fix society, but God can. And that's why 160 years after Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, that's why society still isn't fixed 160 years later. It's because God is still not back at the centre. And until he is, our society will remain broken, as broken as it is now. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we... We don't always live every day, Lord, with an awareness of the brokenness of our society, but there are often things that happen from week to week or month to month or year to year that remind us of just how broken things are. Lord, when we think about the plight of African Americans in the US, Lord, we might think about the plight of Aboriginal people in our own country. When we think sometimes of the plight of those in war-torn countries or those struggling below the poverty line, those struggling from the effects of drugs and violence and abuse. Lord, we see the brokenness of the world around us and we see that that brokenness and evil is woven right through the fabric of our world, right through the fabric of our society. It's not something that can be removed, cut out, a piece here and there and everything fixed. Lord, your word tells us that it's because we've pushed you out of the centre that these things have happened. Lord, we just want to confess that that's true. It's true of our world. Lord, it's also true of each one of us. Our Lord, each of us have done that and we want to confess that and acknowledge that we have tried to be our own rulers, our own gods over our own lives, over our world uh, and it's not right. Lord, we've neither glorified you nor given thanks to you. And so we ask, Lord God, for your forgiveness through Jesus, through his death for our sins uh, and Lord, we pray that his powerful resurrection life would uh, begin to shape and change us to be people uh, who live truly with you at the centre of our lives. So we know that won't be wholly the case until Christ returns, but we, Lord, we pray that you would uh, call uh, more and more people uh, to return to you, and in so doing, Lord, we pray that we might catch a glimpse of that society which is fixed uh, and remade in the way that you intended it to be. So, Father, we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.